Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I have a very important question for you <laughs> that the people want to know. Okay. This is a Magic the Gathering podcast, but the people need to know, are we getting an episode of Come On and Survivor this week? Oh, baby, are we? Yes, Wednesday, September 21st. We've got the premiere of Survivor Season 43, and two days to follow, we will have the premiere of Season 43 of Come On and Survivors. Holy smokes, folks. If you are not listening <laughs> to Come On and Survivors and watching Survivor, I cannot tell you how big of a convert I am. If you had told me that two years ago I would know <laughs> when Survivor was premiering, I would have told you you were insane. But the show's so good, and what Ethan's podcast does for the show is incredible. It just feels like you're hanging out with Ethan and one of his friends from college, Charlie, every week, like talking strategy about this game. It's awesome. If you want a little more content and a little more fun in your life, start watching Survivor and listen to Come On In Survivors. Wow. I mean, I, I, I think I can just tap out now. You're you're doing a great job of selling my other show for me. I'm, I'm loving this. Thank you. Yeah, I am hyped. Almost as hyped as I am for Dominaria United, but not quite because this format is awesome. How hyped are you for the showdown tomorrow versus Team Resources as well? Ooh, we're going to crush. I mean, I'm excited, but I'm excited to crush. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, had some folks asking me on stream last week. They were like, how excited is Ben to be doing a showdown for his favorite format of all time? And I was like, I think he's pretty excited. Let's just slow down with the all time. I still think Ikoria has got my top slot, but this is a great format. Yeah, maybe in a few years you'll walk it back. But I think by the end of this format, you're just going to be so in love and especially off the heels of two sets that you really didn't like. I think you might. I think you might get to go status. No, 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 no. Ikoria is standing strong, but this is an all-timer format. This is a great format. Yeah, and I think uh, what we talked about a few weeks ago in terms of, you know, really wanting to make sure we were presenting the information for this format specifically in the right way for our listeners. You know, we talked about like teaching people to fish rather than giving people fish. Um, and I think, again, we sort of came up against it. We had a thought about what to do for this week's episode of commons and context again, or sort of rehashing it. And, you know, for folks who have access to our, our Patreon reward tier, which we'll talk about in just a second, of getting access to our show notes, you'll see that our Google Doc is 11 pages long. <laughs> I like, you know, sort of went through and did the commons and context style episode show notes and sent them to Ben. And he was like, these look fine. Let's get on a call. Let's talk about this. And through our conversation, we were like, I don't know if this is actually like this is good information, but I don't know if this is actually the information that's going to help people to draft this format in particular. And so we retinkered, we retooled. I don't know. I can't remember the last time we had to have like a 30 minute conversation <laughs> days before recording the show. But here we are. That's just the quality content that we're putting out for you folks. And uh, that's what we have for you this week. I don't think it has ever happened. And I need to ask you another question that is burning everyone's mind. This episode title, Domins in Context. Does your title game just flow naturally at this point? Like, are you just so zen <laughs> that the titles come to you immediately? I or think, is there lots of careful thought and consideration over the course of the week? Well, there's sometimes it comes to me immediately. Sometimes, you know, I'm having trouble sleeping and I, you know, just a flash of a, a beautiful vision comes to me <laughs> and I have to grab my phone and write it down. But I'm not even that happy with Domins and Context because D-O-M is not the abbreviation for this set. It feels a little, I got to say, I honestly feel like this title may not stick from recording Sunday morning to when I post Monday afternoon. Wow. The genius <laughs> 
continues. I'm, I cannot wait to see what the actual title is. <laughs> oh, now it's, I might just fold. I might fold under the pressure. All right. So we do have, you know, not 11 pages of show notes, but quite a bit to get to today. A few housekeeping things to take care of before we get into that. First things first is the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. The show, of course, will always be free, but we have a lot of sweet perks over there, starting with everybody getting access to the Lords of Limited Discord, which is the place to be for 24-7 limited tech support on the internet. I really truly believe this is the best limited community out there as you move up the reward tiers you can get access to our show notes see the show that that could have been the show that might have been um in our google doc here you can get access to the show a day early early access to the podcast each and every week on sunday and then coaching sessions monthly with me or ben as you move all the way up the reward tiers and of course each week we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they join so this week we're welcoming curran andrew sean miles patrick Ray, Land and Token, Warren, Marius, Duncan, Aaron, Cody, Sean, and Robert. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. The show is also brought to you by Channel Fireball, channelfireball.com. Best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related, unless you're going to tcgplayer.com. Both mm. of those are one and the same now, if you haven't heard. And whether you're going to either website, they've got Dominar United sealed and singles available for you. I know I'm going to be picking up a box or two of Dominaria United to draft down the road. And if you have funding available, you can do something like that. Would strongly recommend thinking about making a purchase like that for yourself if you like to draft in person with friends. In addition to that, we've got CFB Pro over at Channel Fireball. You, me, Alex wrote a bunch of articles at the beginning of this format that are still there available for your consuming pleasure. And I know we're going to keep pumping out articles because this format is a content machine. It's so easy to make good content about a good format. So shout out to Dominaria United for being the muse that inspires all (laughs) of us. And whether you're going to TCG player or especially at Channel Fireball, Please use code LOL, all caps, to let them know that we sent you over there. All right. It's still early days in this format, so I think we should definitely kick things off for our conversation today with a little roundtable. So are you ready to take a seat, Ben? Absolutely. All right. So first things first, pack one, pick one. I'm a lucky boy. You know, we've got some commons. There's a lightning strike, eh, flowstone infusion, but let's, let's jump all the way to the rare slot. One of the best cards in the entire set, Archangel of Wrath, two white, white for a three, four with flying and lifelink. It has kicker for black and or red. And when it enters the battlefield, if it was kicked once, it deals two damage to any target. And if it was kicked twice, it deals two damage to any target. Yeah, that card's great. You're taking it over, I assume, every common and probably every uncommon. Yeah, I mean, maybe there's I don't quite know what the like super duper spike line edge thing is with if wing mantle chaplain was in this pack but i'm i'm personally still taking archangel of wrath yeah love it sweet so then pack one pick two the choices fall off steeply i would say so cards in consideration there's idyllic beachfront which is the white blue tap land there's a flowstone infusion single red for an instant target creature gets plus two minus two until end of turn the only white card really to think about is like banalish sleeper one and a white for the three one with kicker for a black when it enters the battlefield if it was kicked each player sacks a creature looking at the uncommons there's czar ogen and scion of a frava that's the three green white four four domain when it becomes tapped you put a plus plus one counter on each creature you control with toughness less than your domain and then i guess the card that that jumped out to me though spoiler ben and i were already about to like hash out this pack before the show and we were like we'll save it for the podcast but strength of the coalition i think is the other card that jumps out to me here single green instant target creature you control gets plus two plus two until end of turn and as kicker for two and a white if it was kicked you put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control yeah strength of the coalition is excellent there's actually another card i want to shout out that you didn't even name which is impulse one in a blue for mm. the instant 
look at the top four of your library, put one of them in your hand and the rest on the bottom in any order. Yeah. When you have a rare like Archangel of Wrath, like you're either probably hoping to end up in white, black, red, like base, white, black, base, white, red, splashing the other half or like a green, white base domain deck where you're splashing the kicker. And I think in that style of deck, impulse is great to help you find Archangel of Wrath. Are you splashing impulse in a green, white base domain deck? I don't know. Maybe if my mana is good enough. I feel like if we're thinking about leaning into a green, white deck, you still take strength over impulse, right? I think if I were taking a green card here, it would be Czar Ojanin over strength of the coalition. Okay, interesting. But for me, like when I look at this pack, I note all those cards you noted plus impulse. And then I think ultimately for me, it boils down to idyllic beachfront or flowstone infusion. I think I would land on flowstone infusion personally. I love that card and it gives you outs to be a straight red white beat down deck with the archangel of wrath which is a nice start to a draft and if you need to pivot from here like this pack just gets basically no weight for me right yeah that was a similar feeling that i had and because it gave no weight i decided to just take the land like you know in normal limited formats you start with a card that's like one of the best rares in the set and that's going to warp your pick order right you're going to want to make concessions towards white cards in the future or maybe even a land like beachfront that touches white in the future so that you increase the odds that you are going to be able to put archangel of wrath in your deck at the end of the draft but this format already has like a bunch of warped pick order stuff happening and archangel of wrath while great it's not like a tox rule it's not like an hourglass coven it's not that sort of like game breaking kind of card that even if i get moved off of this which i hope to not I'm not going to be that bummed because I'll get into something that is good and open. Um, and I'm not going to, you know, take a card like Banalish Sleeper out of this pack because I have Archangel first. Preach. All right. So I grabbed the white blue dual land here. Pack one pick three, I think sort of has some inklings of that notion I was just talking about. A couple cards that jump out to me. Probably the best card in the pack period is Micromancer. Three and a blue for the three three. When ETBs, you can search your library for an instant or sorcery card with mana value one. Reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. This card is super duper awesome. And then probably the card that goes best with Archangel of Wrath. I suppose there's two, and this maybe can lead great into your question for me, Ben, or your statement about the format for me, which is Citizen's Arrest, one white, white for the enchantment. When ETBs exile target creature or planeswalker and opponent controls until Citizen's Arrest leaves the battlefield. Or extinguish the light to black, black for an instant, destroy target creature or planeswalker. If its mana value is three or less, you gain three life. So I think... This is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, I looked at this pack and I said, yeah, we can just fast forward through this pick because it's clearly Micromancer. So I think Micromancer is significantly better and more important to whatever deck you end up in than Citizen's Arrest or Extinguish the Light. Would you agree? I agree. And I think, you know, if we take the exact path that I have, the fact that you already have Beachfront and the fact that this format is so splash possible, right, that we could end up in a white black or white red deck that still then has a couple ways to splash Micromancer with a couple spells to go get in the one drop slot. And you're happy to do that as well. But I agree. I think Micromancer is just in my mind, I was like, definitely the clear pick in this pack. Yeah, but you were saying that we shouldn't fast forward through this pick because you think people might take Citizens Arrest or Extinguish the Light here, which I agreed is probably true. People might make a mistake here and just take a card that matches up with Archangel of Wrath, which leads into my statement about the format that Ethan has not heard yet. I want to see if he agrees with the statement or not. So I was at band all day yesterday wishing I could play in the uh, Mythic Invitational Qualifier or whatever they're called. And I was just thinking about the format. And I think I found a way to summarize one, why this format is awesome and two, why it's very difficult, like fairly succinctly. Okay. So you need to, at the end of the draft, have a deck where every card 
is working towards the same goal, like working towards the same plan. But during the draft, you can't lock in early on whatever you think that strategy is going to be. So you need to be able to during the draft, during pack one, maybe even into pack two for a while, be drafting a bunch of different decks or have outs to a bunch of different decks. And then like on a dime, you have to be able to stop, lock it in. And at the end, make sure you have 23 cards that work very cohesively together. Because if you don't have 23 cards that work cohesively together, your neighbors will because there's so many paths through a draft that you should end up in an open deck where all your cards work together. I don't know why I'm surprised because I shouldn't be because I have shouted you out many times as being able to sort of like umbrella these kind of thoughts so well. But I couldn't agree more. That really puts into words what I have felt about the format so far. And I feel like the drafts for me that have gone the worst are the ones where by about pick four, I think I know what I'm doing, make a few like suboptimal picks to match up with this thing I think I'm doing. And then I'm stuck there and don't have any wiggle room to pivot or speculate or whatever. What that is, is very difficult, right? Yes. Like that... That requires a lot of draft knowledge and it requires a lot of knowledge about like what cards are better than other cards and not like this B is better than this B minus like where they're where you're getting significant gains in equity by like hedging into another color or hedging into another deck because that card is so important to that deck. And Micromancer is so important to blue decks that you can't pass it here and then get into blue. I mean, you could theoretically, Mm -hmm. but it would be a big loss on your part to pass up on something the power level of Micromancer. I agree. So I took the Micromancer here. Pack one, pick four. Again, I think the pick comes down to about two cards. One being Talarian Terror, which is very easy to take here, I think, once you have the Micromancer. Six and a blue for a five, five. Costs one less to cast for each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard and has ward two. What are your thoughts? Do you have an idea of if you see, like, let's say Talarian Terror and Talarian Geyser were in this pack? Oh, why are you doing this to me? (laughs) Because I want to know, because I think like, you know, the data says Talarian Geyser. But I wonder if, as we're going to talk about in a little bit today, I wonder if the best blue decks are the ones where you have access to a number of Talarian terrors. And sure, if you have the geysers to back them up, you're happy. But, you know, as we've talked about, there's essence scatter, there's impulse, there's timely interference. Like reducing the cost of your terror is not difficult, you know, whereas vice versa, when you have a bunch of geysers, I mean, geysers is not a really good example because a bunch of geysers in a deck is still good if you have any number of threats. But I think I might still take the terror here. Yeah, that's an interesting question. There was a big discussion going on about this specific thing in the Lords of Limited Discord. And I was just reading. I didn't chime in, but it got me thinking about it also yesterday during band. <laughs> Clearly very invested <laughs> in what's happening on Saturday's drink competition day. For sure. But I think I arrived at the conclusion for me personally that I'm on terror over geyser right now because I think the terror has gone up in people's pick orders. Mm-hmm. And I think the blue decks don't function without, you know, like multiple copies of Talarian terror. There's the other side of that argument is if you pick the geyser, the geyser goes in a wider variety of decks. Right. And I think you're still able to get finishers. Maybe they aren't Talarian terrors, but if you pick the geyser, you will be able to pick up other finishers. So I can see arguments for both. I think right now, today, me personally, I'm on Talarian Terror over Geyser just because I've drafted a lot of blue decks recently where I haven't gotten the terrors and they have been abysmally bad. 
It's the it's the old Phyrexian Rager versus Monstrous War Leech conundrum once again, Ben. <laughs> there it um, is. Do you want the card with the high floor or the high ceiling? Um, so yeah, Telerian Terror in the pack. There's Essence Scatter as well, and I think a couple weeks ago I would have been you know slamming Essence Scatter, but certainly have seen the light on Telerian Terror by now. And then again, if you wanted to make a concession in your pick order here, there's an Argivian Cavalier. It's in a white two two with enlist, and when it enters the battlefield, you make a one one white soldier creature token, which is great it's one of the best white commons you would happily snap it up here to go with your archangel of wrath but i think that way of navigating drafts in this format would be wrong yeah i agree i think tolerian terror is enough better than essence scatter and enough upside here especially after picking micromancer that it's a pretty clear tolerian terror but again worth noting that you could have last picked taken citizen's rest or extinguish the light and then you know here you're taking our cavalier and you're missing out on this potentially awesome blue deck right for sure And then things get a little spicy here. Pack one, pick five. Nothing good in blue, in my mind. The only blue card is Academy Wall, the three mana 05 defender. When you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you can draw a card if you do discard a card and you trigger that only once each turn. Like, that's fine. You'll know, I think, when you want to play that, which is rarely. A couple... Again, fillerish in my mind, white cards, Charismatic Vanguard, the three mana, three, two, that can give your team plus and plus one until under turn for five mana, and then another Citizen's Arrest. And then, to potentially pair with the Micromancer, there's a Bone Splinters, single black for a sorcery, as an additional cost to cast it, sack a creature, and you destroy a target creature. Yeah, this pack is significantly less good and makes me worried about Micromancer Telerian Terror right. ultimately being viable with no no blue here. To be honest, you could hand me any card out of this pack and yeah. I wouldn't particularly care. I think I might just take Geothermal Bog to pair with Archangel of Ooh. Wrath to know that I guaranteed if I end up white black or white red have at least outs one way to get double kicker. Yeah, I hadn't even considered that. I was too focused on feeling like I was big braining the Micromancer pick with the <laughs> single mana spell. But I like that thought as well. But I agree. I think like, you've cast a lot more Bone Splinters than I have in the format. So I think you probably have a better idea of Bone Splinters power level than I do. Theory crafting Bone Splinters confirmed. <laughs> but I feel really good about taking the Bone Splinters because then next pack, pack one, pick six, I see what in my mind is the best black common, Ben. Eerie Soul Tender. Ooh. Two and a black for a 3-1 when it enters the battlefield you mill three and you can pay four and a black to exile it from your yard to return another target creature card from your graveyard to your hand yeah eerie soul tender is great it's what makes the black decks tick yeah i I was thinking about tweeting this yesterday but i kind of didn't want to like spoil some fodder for discussion on the show here but like i think a very clear statement as to why this format is tough to wrap your head around is that eerie soul tender is the best black common there's phyrexian rager there's extinguish the light and i am pretty darn confident as you'll see later in this draft twice in pack three if you want to look at the log that'll be available in our show notes twice in pack three I take Eerie Soul Tender over Phyrexian Rager. Yeah, definitely. I, I, so that is not shocking to me at all. I've, I've been on Soul Tender over Rager for a while personally because I like the Necromass so much. Yeah, but I think even like even beyond Necromass, decks without Necromass still want Soul Tender better because they it has self synergy right and synergize. The more you have, the better they are because you can mill soul tenders with soul tenders and then you just have this five mana raised dead hanging out which this format is not blisteringly fast enough to punish you for doing that as the the board stabilizes right and i was actually listening to limited level ups uh or yesterday on the way driving to marching band <laughs> <laughs> and uh beers and alex were talking about to, uh eerie soul tender and that they weren't quite necessarily on it as the best black common yet but that ham tv is taking it like it's the best black common 
one of the blue black decks I drafted early on in the format really clicked with me because it wasn't really either deck. It wasn't blue spells or black graveyard. It was kind of in the middle and I had the writhing necromasses and I had Talarian terrors and I had eerie soul tenders and I had monstrous war leeches. But the soul tender also like in a blue black deck like that, if you have terrors in addition to necromasses, it's dumping spells in your graveyard also potentially to make the Talarian terrors cheaper. Exactly. Which hadn't really that had happened, but it hadn't really clicked for me yet. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons that you pushed back on me saying two weeks ago that I thought like, if you have a deck that's trying to make use of two of the different cost reduction commons, you're gonna have a bad time. And you were like, yeah, but blue black, I think is the one spot that I don't agree with that in. Because Eerie Soul Tender can enable Eerie Soul Tender and I guess Monstrous War Leech can enable both if you have that sort of like the perfect split is probably something in the like 14 creature nine spell range. Yeah. So grab the Eerie Soul Tender here, pick six, go on a little run with black cards here, Gibbering Barricade, pick seven, and then ba-ba-da-ba, pack one, pick eight, Writhing Necromass, six and a black, five-five, costs one less to cast for each creature card in your graveyard, and it has death touch. So I felt really good about the like spec on the bone splinters, pick up on that soul tender and then feeling like I'm getting paid off here with the necromass. Yeah, absolutely. And so to take stock of where you're at right now, pack one, pick eight, the, the draft is not even close to being done yet. So you have idyllic beachfront, Talarian Terror, Micromancer, Archangel of Wrath as non-black cards. And then as black cards, you've got writhing necromass, gibbering barricade, eerie soul tender and bone splinter. So right now you are black. Mm-hmm. I think looking to pair either white or blue with it. Is that a fair statement? Like based on what's happened in the draft so far? Yeah, I think really hoping still, even though white hasn't been very open from the right, hoping that it's open from the left so I can be like base black white to play the Archangel and then maybe splash some blue for the cards I have. Maybe not, whatever. But that's my thought at this point. And with how little blue we've seen, I'm very nervous about pushing into blue. I agree for sure. And then a unicorn happened in this draft, Ben, which is that I ended up drafting black red, I think for the first time ever in this set. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, got a Shivan Devastator pack two pick one. That's the X and a red mythic with flying and haste and enters the battlefield with X plus and plus one counters on it. And then got a Lagamos Hand of Hatred, and then pack two, pick four, a Garna Blood Fist of Keld. And I was like, okay, maybe this is the one time I will draft Black Red. And the deck worked out great. It, it was a bit more on the controlling side, ended up with three Bone Splinters and two copies of Enthrall to the Pit, and got the trophy. Nice. Yeah. This is super awesome deck. Yeah. And my first four picks didn't end up in the draft. And I think that's not obviously going to happen, you know, a lot of the time, greater than 50% of the time, but it's a spot where you want to be at. And I think, again, the drafts that have gone the worst for me are the ones where if I had taken Extinguish the Light or something early and then taken our Giving Cavalier, it might have been harder for me to find my way into it. Maybe I would have held on to white and not picked up on the red in pack two or whatever, you know? Well, and this was possible because you picked up on black being open and got into black as a package, which is something we're about to outline a little bit later in the show. Correct. So I think without further ado, we'll take a quick ad break and then we'll be back to get into the meat of the episode. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Adulting is hard. And while that is certainly a meme, it's also definitely true. As someone currently juggling work, various doctor's appointments, home ownership, renovations, and upcoming fatherhood, life can be a lot. 
When things pile up, it's often too easy to delay responsibilities rather than keep your brain in problem-solving mode. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals no matter how big or small. I've actually recently started seeing a behavioral therapist locally, which has been immensely helpful to put things in perspective, have someone to bounce ideas off of, and just have a friendly face to be accountable to without being judged. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. The convenience and accessibility of it being entirely online makes it that much easier to make and keep appointments when your plate feels too full. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash lords today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash lords. And now back to the show. All right, Ben, we've got a little bit of a broad discussion here for setting up what we're going to talk about today. Kick things off for us. Yeah, this ties into what I was talking about in the draft, but I think a common sentiment for the format has been, you know, I'm losing a lot and I don't know why. I feel like my decks are good and I feel like I'm drafting well, but I just keep losing. And also, honestly, I have joined folks <laughs> there this past week. Like I, this happens to me in every format where I feel like I understand the format and then like marching band or school or something happens and I don't get to play as much as I want for a week or two. Like maybe I play one day a week, two days a week, and I only do four, five, six drafts, you know, spread across two days in a week. And I come back and I'm just out of touch with where the meta is at. So more, more on that in a second. But I think if you're losing a lot and you don't know why, I would say it's most likely because your deck doesn't have a plan or even more importantly, a plan that didn't come together all the way, which is where I have found myself recently. And I think even the plans that don't come together all the way are a huge problem because normally like it's fine. Like you've got pretty good cards and you've got a pretty good plan, but the format's wide open enough that your competition, if your competition's good, are going to have good cards and good plans that got there all the way. And I think the, the decks that get there part of the way just lose to the decks that get there all the way. Yeah, for sure. And that obviously like that's, you know, a product of leagues or whatever and wouldn't happen in pod play, but that's what we have is leagues. So I, I totally agree with that. Well, and it might happen in pod play too, you know? Like if, if somebody correctly read that green white was open in your pod and you didn't pick up on that, I mean, you really get punished, I think, for not drafting what you are supposed to draft in your seat, quote unquote. I think also coupling with drafting the correct thing for your seat is drafting a deck or treating a color outside of the way it's meant to be treated in this format, if that makes sense. And that's sort of what we're going to outline, what we sort of talked about in terms of using the cost reduction creatures as signposts for each individual color. But understanding even the difference of the five colors of like, as we we've sort of outlined them as three sort of have the commons to back them up or can be built with commons. Two of them are much more higher rarity based and just sort of understanding what they do best. Like, you know, are you really supposed to build a blue based creature deck? Are you supposed to build a white based control deck? You really got to have a clear plan about what's happening there. You know, I posted this red black trophy deck and I got a couple of questions about, oh, interesting. Like, is red black like not supposed to be drafted or is red black not good? Can you not just draft like aggro creatures and a pile of removal? No, is the answer to that question. <laughs> a, a big resounding no is the answer to all of those questions, right? Like, you just can't do that. And the reason you don't want to draft black red that often is you just don't have the incentives to draft black red that often. You shouldn't. And I say that as someone who would happily draft black red who likes that style of deck a lot, but you just don't have the incentives to draft that deck almost ever in this format. Yes, completely agree. All right, so let's get into those cost reduction creatures. So we've got the Esper colored cost reduction creatures that I think are head and shoulders above the red and the green to me. And I think specifically the blue and the black even more so in their right. own tier, yeah. which is Tolarian Terror, the 5-5 five five that gets cheaper for spells, Writhing Necromass, the 5-5 five five Death Touch that gets cheaper for creatures in your graveyard. And then I think a notch below those certainly are Gyvian Phalanx, 
the 4-4 Vigilance that gets cheaper the more creatures you have on the battlefield. Yeah, the thing about all three of these creatures, honestly, is just how well they highlight what I think that color does best. And the reason that Phalanx is, I think, a notch below is that you can have a good go-wide deck without Phalanxes, right? Phalanx points you to, hey, this is what white wants to do, but you don't need me as a good payoff for that. Whereas Terror and Necromass as the Ward 2, as the Death Touch, as them being 5-5s and not a 4-4, I think makes them be like, ooh, and here's a nice bonus for doing so. Like, white doesn't need the Phalanx to be a good deck. Not saying that blue and black need those cards to be good, but those are better payoffs for doing the thing than Phalanxes. Yeah, they're essentially common build arounds and Terror and Necromass are whatever build around Bs, B pluses. Mm-hmm. Argabian Phalanx is like a build around C plus. It can be very good in white, but doesn't necessarily pull you into white, if that makes sense. It makes total sense to me. And then there's a significant gap in the red and the green ones because they aren't as reliable as a build around at the common rarity. And they more point towards something rather their incentives for doing a particular thing. And I'd say that's even more so for green and sub in Yavamaya Sojourner, that's the 4-6 for 8 that has a cost reduction for your domain. And that's like a backup creature for domain decks. But like you're taking many cards over it. And honestly, a lot of the domain decks that are good, I think, will have better card quality. You know, if you think about Sojourner costing four, five, I mean, yeah, sure, sure, in some decks it'll cost three, but you probably have better things to do at those mana values than Sojourner. Yes, I completely agree with that. And then Molten Monstrosity is just a bit out of place in the format. You can play it, certainly, but it's not really a draft around me type thing. Even in the red-green decks, I was listening to Beers and Alex talk about this on Limited Level Ups. If you're not listening to Limited Level Ups, you should be. But uh, he was talking about, you know, playing Molten Monstrosity, like maybe you play a pump trick and then you play your Molten Monstrosity post-combat and you turn your pump trick into a ritual. But then if your opponent has Telerian Geyser or a removal spell, like it's just not worth the risk necessarily. Like your deck just beats down better than Molten Monstrosity. All right, so we're going to get into the Esper colors and then we'll talk about red and green separately because I think they're sort of in a different class of what they're able to do. So white is common driven. And for all the cards we're going to talk about, we're not going to read what they do because I think one, that's going to get cumbersome. And two, we really left our show notes kind of sparse here so that we could give ourselves an opportunity to cook a little bit. Um, you know, Ben and I don't, Ben and I usually try and like keep our show notes tight, keep the show tight. Hopefully that comes across. Um, and I think this will still be tight, but this, there's just so much to discuss in this set. And I think we wanted to give ourselves the opportunity to do that. So white has this common package that makes up the bulk of base white aggressive decks that's headlined by take up the shield and Argivian Cavalier in my mind. Then we talked about Argivian and phalanx as you know a sort of payoff for that destroy evil as probably white's best common removal spell and then heroic charge as another payoff for the most aggressive of those go white strategies yes but i think an important thing to take away here from this is that white blue and black which we're going to outline here are very driven by commons and red and green much less driven by commons but then like zooming out to the format as a whole, very driven by uncommon. Yes. And I don't know that we've like stated that quite explicitly yet. Yes. And that's one of the things that makes it so unique. I'm going to say unique. That's the buzzword for the episode, I guess, is that it's not driven by commons and it's not driven by rares even, I think. I think it is mostly driven by uncommons. Yes. And those uncommons that are premium, those are the types of cards you should be hedging on and specking on early in the draft, leaving multiple paths open to you and then honing in with these commons or these common packages. So in white, you've got all those cards you mentioned. And I think the important thing to really know about white is that if you're doing a white deck that is based around commons, you need to be being proactive. 
Oh, 100%. And I think, you know, we'll, as we'll talk about what different colors will add to these base colors, then once you have an, an idea, you know, some black-white decks can be a little grindier. Maybe your green-white decks are domain-based, whatever. But at its core, what white adds, what at its core, what white brings to the table is go-wide and aggression. Right. So let's say you're looking at a tier list, or let's say you're looking Boo. at pick orders. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not booing, because I think they're they could be helpful. And also, I should plug this. So on our website, lordsalimited.com, which we rarely ever talk about, we have a tier list there, but I'm in the middle of, and I will make sure it is done by the time this episode airs, is putting comments on every single card about like what other cards to value as you draft it or things to think about when you take it, things like that. So just literally comments on every card to try to make a tier list more useful. So if that's of interest to you, you can go to lordsalimited.com and check it out. But let's say you know that Take Up the Shield is a good card. You know it's the best white common from listening to us or some other content creator. You take take up the shield, but it doesn't necessarily that should have a lot of implications for you. <laughs> like you can't just take take up the shield because you know, it's a good card. You should take that thinking, okay, this is pushing me into white. If I'm pushing myself into white. I need to be being aggressive, most likely. And that's got implications for your future picks, right? You're less willing, I think, maybe to backdoor into a domain deck or things like that. So like even taking a single card as simple as take up the shield has tons of implications for where you think you might be going or what path is open to you for take up sh- the shield to end up in your final deck. You know how easy it would be in this format to end up in, let's say, a white green deck with 12 creatures in it because take up the shield is good and Gaia's Might is good and Colossal Growth is good and Rabbit Bite is good and oh, I got, the- I heard Destroy Evil was good and now you've got like five removal spells and five combat tricks and 12 or 13 threats. And those threats from white and green aren't even that good, right? One of the things that's so good about white is it presents a bunch of things that are keyword bad. They're just like, here's a bunch of rectangles of magic cards. (laughs) And like, it doesn't matter what you interact with because I'll just save whatever with take up the shield or I'll push damage with this or whatever. But if you're not thinking about, and and then that's not even taking into consideration that white green is not a deck you want to end up in, I'd say almost at all, similar to red black, just because you don't have incentives to do so, partially because of what green brings to the table, um, we'll talk about later, that like, that's a spot that a drafter can end up in without the homework done beforehand to know what is happening in this set specifically. Right. And then one of the awkward things about white is, you know, white's good, you know, white's supposed to be aggressive. So you take, take up the shields, you take your archiving cavaliers, which are just outstanding in white aggressive decks that want to go wide. You know you're supposed to have heroic charge as a finisher, but you need two drops. And they're like really bad two drops in the format. They're all clunkily interchangeable. That's one of the things I wanted to like sort of present here because I I can hear the tweets. I can hear the Discord messages of, y'all didn't mention card X, no love for Samite Herbalist. And I will say (laughs) the cards that we like, we have poured over these show notes. Like you've made a pass. I've made a second pass. You've made a third pass. I like I'm not saying it can't be possible, but the cards that we're choosing to mention in the show are the cards that we think matter. And the cards that we're leaving off are the cards that we don't think matter that much. Now we're going to have left off some awesome. I card know that's why we're going to tweet at us. and We're going to get but like, wrecked. But this is one of this is one of the awkward things about white. You know, we'll move into the premium uncommons. Night of Dawn's Light is one of the best things. I think also Phyrexian Missionary. Those are the two uncommons in white that really like have my alarm bells go off in the draft. But Night of Dawn's Light. Is, is incredibly good, just almost unblockable at every phase of the game, um, unless your opponent can really 
you know, leverage some trick or whatever, or blow you out when you go to pump it. But that's such a good two drop, right? Because it is impactful on turn two and impactful on turn 10. All of White's common two drops, what Herbalist, the Banalish Faith Bonder, the one three, there's the stupid two two with kicker green that puts a plus plus one counter on it. Like, all of these things are just interchangeable, and ideally, I'm not putting any of them in my deck. Ethan? Hello? Oh, I lost you there for a second. Oh, no. I was so passionate. Um, I was just you talking. Got to, you got to and. The the stupid 2-2 two, two oh, kicker with a plus, saying, plus one counter saying, and. I, I was saying they're all uh, interchangeable, and ideally, I'm not putting them in my deck. Right. Well, and I think people also are just putting two drops like the aforementioned cards just in their decks that aren't aggressive for curve, for curve. which is like the worst <laughs> yeah. thing you can do in this format. Like the words, well, my curve, like nobody cares about your curve in this format unless you're aggressive, in which case you might have to play some of these clunkers f- to literally have bodies on turn two. Like, especially, you know, if you're playing Argivian Phalanx, you have to have a good curve for Argivian Phalanx to make the cut in your deck. And that might mean playing a clunker two drop or two, but you better have ways like take up the shield or heroic charge to turn those clunker two drops into relevant cards later in the game. I mean, I know you can't always get this, but I think like your two drops should largely not be commons in a lot of decks, right? Knight of Dawn's Life, Phyrexian Missionary Unkicked, Resolute Reinforcements. These are the things you want to see in your two drop slot in your white decks. Well, and that's one of the reasons that it's tough to be an aggro player in the format yes. is the, the good two drops are spells. It's removal like lightning strike. Mm-hmm. Or it's cards like essence scatter. Like those are what you want in your two drop slot. Or there, I mean, or there's, you know, you sometimes get, you know, the root walls and the knights of the world that scale well with the game, but those are few and far between. Yeah. And so you had touched into the premium uncommons a little bit, but then we had pulled back after Knight of Dawn's Light and Phyrexian Missionary. So those are the two premium uncommons. And those also are great two drops to go in white aggressive decks, but also just great two drops in any deck that is base white that's not necessarily aggressive. And the other two premium uncommons, I think, Wingmantle Chaplain. Obviously. Own deck and its own thing that, you know, if you want to get deep talking about Wingmantle Chaplain, you can listen to Sam Black's podcast, Drafting Archetypes. He's got a great episode about that. And then Runic Shot, I think, as one mana interaction. And maybe this is where we chat cheap interaction because I am super high on cheap interaction with the opponent. And I think one of the ways I'm winning games most in the format is interacting cheaply with my opponent, whether that's Runic Shot on a tapped creature to get a mana advantage or whether that's with Shore Up to block their four or five mana removal spell. But interacting for or low amounts of mana in this format has been so good for me. Yeah, I am much more excited about Shore Up and Take Up the Shield than I am about Runic Shot, to be honest. So your your team stopping the opponent rather than playing your own Destroy Evils or Runic Shots or Lightning Strikes? Yeah, I mean, I'm playing those cards for sure. And like, you know, we've talked about Bone... I've cast a lot more Bone Splinters than Ben and probably more than anybody in the format just with my proclivity for drafting Black White. I like Bone Splinters a lot because... It's cheap, partially, and and synergistic, so that checks a lot of huge boxes to put a removal spell ahead of the pack. So I'm not saying you don't need ways to interact, but I, I would prefer my ways to keep things on the board rather than remove things from the board. Yeah, I, mostly I wanted to dial in because I think an episode or two ago, you had said that removal is kind of whatever. It doesn't matter as much in this format because there's so many two for ones. But I think the stuff that stands out cheaply, at least I wanted to amend that personally for myself, the stuff that is interacting at a mana advantage for you has been very good and very important for me. I agree with that. I want to like dial in on Runic Shot specifically. I am not happy with Runic Shot without being able to kick it in my decks. 
And I also think that Runic Shot is better as a splash in a sort of green-blue domain deck or in a white-blue but base-blue spells deck than it is in a white deck. Yes, absolutely. Runic Shot is a domain card, which is back to the premium uncommons. White's uncommons don't necessarily point you towards what white's commons do. Well, but and also, did you hear about how many? I was like, yes, this card is good if. Like, there are so few cards in this format that are just, ah, this does what it does at face value in every deck. That's one of the reasons, to harken back to the roundtable, that Eerie Soultender stands out to me as the best black common. It's because it like has this sort of built-in synergy. It's going to be good in every black deck. They're good in multiples, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, completely agree. So I think white, lots of things to consider there, but ultimately the takeaway for you should be that if you're taking white and especially a lot of commons, you need to be beating down. Agreed. All right, talk to me about blue. Blue, oh, we could have a whole episode dedicated to my love of blue. Although blue has kind of forsaken me lately in that I've had a lot of trouble getting Talarian Terrors. And also, so previously, prior to losing a lot, my strategy was, draft blue if blue's not open or is cut or whatever i'm gonna backdoor into some sort of a domain deck and like the domain decks when you backdoor out of blue are not tier one domain decks they're like a little more hodgepodgey and i have found that those hodgepodgey domain decks just do not win anymore people either have like focus domain decks or like really grindy decks that we're planning on the long game from the beginning This is where the Ethans of the world really shine in the lifetime of a limited format is about weeks three and four when everybody who early like Ben and Alex, who figured out what the best (laughs) thing to do was before everybody else, they exploited it. But now everybody else is caught up and Ben is like, wait, I can't do the best thing anymore. What am I supposed to do? And I'm like over here being like, you can draft bone splinters and Phyrexian warhorse if you want. (laughs) And Ben's like, no, those cards are terrible. (laughs) That is my that is my gut reaction to those cards. But I do think I have to adjust my draft strategy. And I haven't quite figured out what that is yet. But I do hope to dive into that a little more today and this coming week. Sweet. All right. So one of the things that's so good about blue aside from Telerian Terror is how long its list of core commons is. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. So we've got Telerian Geyser, Essence Scatter, Impulse, Phyrexian Espionage, Shore Up, Timely Interference. And then I've got a card here at the end with a question mark that I want to chat with you about. Talus Lookout, do you think that belongs on this list? Yes or no? Well, first of all, I feel like, uh, well, let's do the hat trick here and we'll shout out a third podcast, which is Mystical Dispute, uh, which (laughs) (laughs) this week did an episode on Impulse versus Talus Lookout, which was great. And if you're thinking to yourself, they've shouted out so many different limited podcasts. How am I supposed to remember these all? Well, if you just go to lordsoflimited.com slash contact us, you can just sign up for our newsletter right there. That's the MTG Limited Digest. You get an email blast every week with the week in review of limited podcasts. All in your inbox. This episode wins the award for most plugs. <laughs> easy. Easy. Easy most plugs. Um, I don't know. I can go back and forth. Talus Lookout could go on this list, and it could not. I have no idea. I like the card a lot. It doesn't do what I think the rest of these cards do, which is <laughs> for folks uh, playing Highlights Magazine at home and going, which of these do not belong here? Well, every other card besides Talarian <laughs> Terror is an instant or sorcery, right? Like Talus Lookout is just this creature being like, hi, I'm value, which is good, but it's four mana. And as they say on Mystical Dispute, double blue is actually kind of a knock against this card, right? We need to stop and talk about what's to, what a deep cut <laughs> the Highlights magazine is. And I get that. What percentage of our listener base do you think knows what the Highlights magazine is? Over 50%. No way. Over 50% knows what Highlights this magazine is. Twitter poll incoming, folks. I, <laughs> yeah, your your uh, success rate with your Twitter polls is really high. <laughs> 
Anyway, that was a gem of a reference. <laughs> so at Talos Lookout for me, I think personally kind of doesn't, but it's yeah. also a very good card, right? Which is important to note because that I think says a lot about the format. Like Talos Lookout, great rate, great card. But the fact that blue doesn't really want to like pressure you in the air mm-hmm. makes it a little worse. And the fact that it's not a spell makes it a little worse. So like in a vacuum, Talos Lookout looks amazing. But I think when you look at it in the lens of the format, it starts to look a lot less good. It's still probably making the cut a lot of the time mm-hmm. in your base blue decks, but I just don't think it's important to what blue as a color wants to do. So I think if you are drafting blue, much like white, you know, Picking white cards leads you to want to be white and aggressive. Picking blue cards makes you want to have spells to make your Tolarian Terror cheaper. But here's why I think blue as a head and shoulders above the other colors in terms of what it does. The blue spells package then can lean very aggressive if you pair it with red or yes. pair it with white sometimes. It can also lead super controlling if you pair it with black or it can you know, be a lot less focused on Tolarian Terror, but still play a bunch of good blue spells in a green domain deck. Like it plays so well on every end of the deck type spectrum. Right. That's, I mean, it's so deep. The cards are inherently synergistic with themselves at common and all four of blue's decks are great. Specifically, what it does is makes the two colors not on this core common list, red and green. It's the best pairing with those colors in my mind. I think blue red is the best red deck and blue green is the best domain deck. Yes, completely agree. And then so we dive into premium uncommons that start to push you towards blue. Because again, I don't want your takeaway from the episode to be, well, they're talking about all these Esper commons. The uncommons are really what matter and what dictate your direction in the draft. So premium blue uncommons to look out for Battlewing Mystic, which is again, best in blue red only, I think something like Frost Fist Strider. That's just great. Always going to make the cut. Micromancer, just great. Always going to make the cut. Things like Rona's Vortex, that's fine. If you can't kick it or can't kick it reliably, very good if you can kick it reliably, you know, but things like this that are premium uncommons that push you towards the color, I think less important towards getting into blue than the other colors, because I think one of the reasons blue is also great is that once you stop taking uncommons, a lot of times the next best card in the pack is a blue common. So you are going to be getting into blue a lot for commons, which is why I think I was drawn to it so initially in the format. Yeah, there's a lot of, it's not redundancy because all of the spells you listed are unique and do different things, but it's reliable or its roster is deep, however you want to think about it, that even if you're, you know, fighting over it with other people at the table, you're going to get a good deck out of it. Right. It's redundant in terms of all 23 of your cards in the deck working cohesively towards a plan. That's the thing, like dialing back to the draft being hard and not being able to zone in too early. Once you do finally lock into blue, it's very easy to end up with 23. Not easy, but it's much more doable to end up with 23 cards that all are on the same page when you're blue. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, especially with a sentiment I saw along with, I don't know why I'm losing in this format, is I can't win with anything other than blue-red or blue-x. And I think because blue is so deep and because all of its commons just naturally work together without you having to warp your pick order or think critically or the way you have to with the other colors, I think made that a lot easier. Right, with white-black or black-red. And you've had a lot of success with those decks because I think you're very good at draft and very good at understanding synergy and know those archetypes from other formats because they are similar to other Mm -hmm. iterations of black red sacrifice or black white sacrifice. And so you know how the pieces go together and you're able to still build a deck with 23 cards working together. Whereas that's not as intuitive, I think, to somebody that doesn't have as much experience in those style of decks. I agree. All right, we're going to take one last break here and we'll be back to talk about the remaining three colors. Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month. And now for the plot twist. 
Nope, there isn't one. Seriously, Mint Mobile just has premium wireless from 15 bucks a month. There's no trapping you into a two-year contract or opening the bill to find all these crazy fees. There's no luring you in with free subscriptions to streaming services that you'll forget to cancel. There's none of that. I'm embarrassed to say how late it took me in life <laughs> to get off my parents' cell phone plan. I won't I won't name the year. And I know the same was true for a lot of my friends. And part of the reason is it's such a headache to deal with the phone company. But Mint Mobile makes things easy. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate, whether you're buying for one or a family. And at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Get premium wireless from just 15 bucks a month and no unexpected plot twists at mintmobile.com slash LOL. That's mintmobile.com slash LOL. Seriously, you'll make your wallet very happy at mintmobile.com slash LOL. And now, back to the show. Okay, so that's going to take us on to black. And rather than have Ben theory craft for you folks, I'll... Uh... Wait, whoa! <laughs> Just... Can we put a hold on the Ben theory crafting memes? No, it's I so good. Black a lot. <laughs> this format, yeah, it's no, it's it's good. I know, I know. I'm uh, I'm I'm just a bully here. So the common package that makes up the bulk of Black decks, we talked about Eerie Soul Tender being both an enabler and slightly payoff with the sort of you know multiple copies milling each other, and then Writhing Necromass, and then Phyrexian Rager is just a clean two for one, and Black's removal as well. Extinguish the light. Tribute to Urborg and Bone Splinters. So we've talked about removal a little bit. And since on the break, we just decided that we were going to make this episode two hours long. I feel like we can just <laughs> really luxuriate here in our uh, in our discussions. Where, where are you at on Tribute to Urborg? Because I, I think I know, understand why I'm low on it. It's because the black decks that I end up in most of the time are black-white, where Tribute to Urborg doesn't matter. Where does this card belong and act best, in your opinion? I mean, I am much higher on Tribute to Urborg almost to the point where I'm taking the first Tribute to Urborg over the first Extinguish the Light because one, I really value the two mana minus two minus two mode against the aggro decks that are trying to kill me. Like the aggro decks have a tough time if you interact with them on the second and third turns and then just start casting better cards than they have. So I I value that aspect of it. And then I also pair black with blue a lot where Mm. Tribute to Urborg is excellent is excellent and is essentially a modal extinguish the light minus the sometimes life loss, you know, mm-hmm. because if you're in blue black, when you're casting it for four mana, it generally kills the thing you want to kill. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense to me. So I, I do like it quite a bit, but I think that speaks to the different styles of black decks that we are drafting more than it says anything about other than you need to understand tribute to Urborg as a magic card. Correct. I agree. And I think the other thing to note about Frexian Rager in tandem with Soltender Necromass is that everything you said about Rager is true, but also that it's a body, right? If you're mm-hmm. doing the Soltender Necromass package, you need to be getting up in the 14, 15 creature count range for sure. Yeah, I- ideally higher, I think. Um, ideally, you're in the high teens so that your Necromasses can be reliably cheap. And then even in the late game, as we talked about a few weeks ago, that you can have that turn where you pay five mana to exile Soltender, get back your Necromass. Now two creatures are out of your graveyard and Necromass still costs one mana. I think that's right. that's the ideal situation. So yeah, Rager is just... I'm not trying to say that Rager is not good. I'm just saying that I think Soul Tender does it better. And that's we would be in a different spot in the format if like X1s somehow got punished, but they just don't really. No, I completely agree. Team Soul Tender for sure. I just wanted to note that Rager is a creature, which is also very important in those black decks. And I think 
another thing to shout out here with the Soul Tender Necromass package, because that is a package and how it differs from the Talarian Terror package. Like much like I said that I would take Talarian Terror, I think over most of the Blue Commons, over Geyser, I said that, so over the Blue Commons. You can't take Necromass over Soul Tender because like in blue, you've got the Terror and then you've got seven or eight excellent spells that you're always going to be able to get to make your terrors cheaper. If you pick Necromass aggressively, you've only got Soul Tender and maybe like Urg, Spawn of Turg and Black Green to really fuel your graveyard or Monstrous War Leech. There's way less ways to naturally like churn to fill your graveyard quickly to make your Necromasses cheaper. So you really want to end up in a spot where you have like four Soul Tenders and two Necromasses. Like I've had a few tweets and seen some What's the Builds recently that are like one Soul Tender, three or four Necromasses. Like, did I do the thing? No. Well, no. And I, I can't really help you fix the deck at this point, unfortunately. So just make note that Soul Tender needs to be the thing that's picked aggressively if you're doing Black synergistic graveyard stuff. And Black does at common level want to be Graveyard synergistic. Graveyard creature synergistic, yeah. Yes. And then the uncommon, so I think the best of the bunch is Knight of Dusk's Shadow just on raw power, what we talked about in terms of its uniqueness for two drops being good early and and good late still. Cult Conscript, I think, is kind of criminally underrated because this, on its face, I think, looks like a constructed card. Sometimes these cards are even rare or whatever. But this is, in my mind, outside of, for Black White specifically, outside of like the Signpost Uncommons and maybe Phyrexian Missionary, it's the most important non-rare for the deck. Just like a recurrable body. It has, again, synergy with Eerie Soul Tender because self-milling it doesn't matter. Then you can get it back later, etc. Um, speaking of self-mill, there's Monstrous War Leech. Those are really like the three cards I'd shout out as like, and even maybe just those two of Conscript and Knight of Dusk Shadow because I'm not as high on the Monstrous War Leech myself. I'm not interested in it if I can't self-mill and I don't end up in blue-black that much. But I think those two cards specifically are like the things that key me into black a little bit. And then there's a lot more context with the other picks. And Cold Conscript is just excellent. It excellent, is. Right? I think it, I agree, criminally underrated. And I think people don't necessarily put it in the right places. But like when you're a black, white, you know, aggressive deck with sacrifice synergies, Cold Conscript is a gigantic gigantic problem as an opposing player that is trying to stabilize. And then you have to like spend the whole time thinking about how you're killing other things when your opponent has two mana up and you're like, maybe I have to wait until they're tapped out so they can't return their cult conscript because the thing just continues to be a problem built in the right shell. You know, if you've got a gibbering barricade, it's just not hard built in the right shell for it to be good. If you've got a gibbering barricade, it just threatens to be an extra life and a fresh card again or whatever. Like it really does do a lot in those black decks. And to put it into context, I think you're picking that over all of the black commons, correct? Correct. Yes, yes, I agree. And I think that is not necessarily on a lot of people's radar. Yep, I think that's a good way to uh, to put that in context. And then a couple other uncommons here. Choking Miasma, one black black for a sorcery. All creatures get minus two, minus two until end of turn. If you kick it for a green, you get to put a plus, plus one counter on one of your creatures. That card has savaged me recently. And I have started playing it a little bit more and I have savaged some other people with it. Like, I think if you are green, black, you certainly need to be that, which is, I think, a suboptimal archetype. But if you are there, I think you should be maining Choking Miasma in best of one just because it says I win against the aggressive decks a lot of the time. It's so interesting. You keep saying the aggressive decks. It must just be a totally different landscape in best of one than it is in best of three. I just I don't face aggressive decks that much. I play against a lot of blue red tempo aggro, mm. a lot a lot of white red aggro and some red green combat tricks beat down, all of which struggle 
pretty mightily against choking miasma at a well-timed spot. Oh yeah, for sure. I had I had choking miasma in my sideboard in the um, arena qualifier day one and sided it in like and had it in my opener. Just got the clean two for one. Felt great on the draw. Yeah, card is great. And you've got another one here, Braid's Frightful Return. Yeah, you know, I was high on this on the set review. You talked me off the ledge, and it has really crept up. I do think there are decks where this is not that good, but it is really not hard for this to be just a good two-for-one. And this goes back to when you were like, well, if this isn't a divination format, then this isn't good. Well, this is a divination format, so this is good. Um, And just being able to return a thing and then either draw a card or they sack a thing. But usually you just get the card because no one has stuff to sacrifice that they want to. Um, so I, I've liked this card, but I don't think it's like in that tier of, you know, things pulling me into black. And I don't think it's necessarily good in all black decks. You know, if your creature count is on, I think it's, it, this is part of my bias of just playing so much black, white. It's very good in black, white. I think in blue, black or black, green domain, definitely less good. I agree. It has impressed me from opposing opponents with similar plans. Okay. So those are the three colors that have good cores. So now we'll circle back to each of them and talk about what other colors add to each core color. And then we'll get to red and green as a core at the end. Right. And I think white, blue, and black specifically, again, because those cores are at common, like also premium uncommons, but just like decks exist at common, where that is much less true for red and green. Correct. So what you get when you add black to white is certainly the two signpost uncommons, Ellis Ilcor, Sadistic Pilgrim, and Aaron, Benalia's Ruin. Those are both really good cards for the deck, in my opinion. I know, I think folks are generally down on Aaron these days, and I am not. Don't forget that this is just a three mana, three, three with Menace. That is a beater. And then also the threat of activation is huge in these white black decks. You get Bone Splinters, Gibbering Barricade, and Phyrexian Warhorse as three excellent sacrifice outlets. And you not only have the ability for the deck to be aggressive, but I think black white is probably white's best core to be able to grind into the mid and late game. Right. But I think ultimately, in an aggressive shell? Would you say that is plan A and then like also has the ability to grind if you get stymied? Yes. I don't, yeah, I think the deck works on multiple axes, but that always starts with I can just go two drop, three drop, four drop, win the game. Like two drop, three drop, four drop, take up the shield when you block. Maybe I've got a removal spell, you're dead. Yeah, or just like use bone splinters from my one one token from our Givian Cavalier and that's like a huge tempo swing, whatever. That cheap interaction, baby. I think you're on it. I think you're on it with me. And then when you add red to the white aggressive decks, again, I have not played as much. I've played against it a lot in best of one, but Sizz on 17 lands, I think, if it's not still one of the winningest color pairs. Hold on a second. When was the last time you checked what the winningest color pairs were on 17 lands? Uh, Like day two of the format, but <laughs> I consume a lot of content and I read a lot of things in the Lords of Limited Discord. Okay, okay. And they all tell me that it's winning a lot and I trust people. I'm a very trusting person. You are. So Kelvin Strike Team, absolute banger in red, white, go wide. This is the two and a red, three, one, that if you kick it for one and a white, you get two, one, one soldier tokens. And then when you kick it, like everything on your side of the battlefield gets haste. So you're potentially swinging in with five hasters, you know, spread across three bodies, which is very good in these decks that want to go wide. Also just making three pieces of cardboard with one card, like you said, very good. And again, ties back almost to those white two drops being pretty bad. There aren't 
a ton of good white two drops, but red does give you some playable two drops. Baird as a premium two drop, and then Yavimaya Steel Crusher also adding another premium two drop. So red really helps shore up that problem that white has of not a lot of good two drops. And I think between those two things and Kelvin Strike Team, and then a lot of cheap interaction also in Flowstone Infusion and Lightning Strike, just a very potent recipe for being able to reliably beat down. And I think there's kind of two styles where you really are like less interested in pushing early damage. I mean, if you get it, sure, but you're ultimately trying to set up for a heroic charge. And in that style of deck, like Captain's Call gets a lot better. Kelden Strike Team's much more important. But then there also are just the two drop, three drop, four drop, you know, combat trick you, Argivian Cavalier, you know, put a lot of pressure on you. And then when you add green to white decks, you don't get much. I'd say from the uncommons, you get Queen Allen, all of Ruadoc and Strength of the Coalition with that that kicker for the strength. I do think that green white can be a base for a domain deck, which we'll talk about at the end here. Um, But those domain decks are largely based on their core being green. um, And then white maybe just adds, you know, some speed bumps or whatever. But green white as a core color pair is not something you want to end up in very often. Yes, completely agree. And then blue adding to white, this is kind of a weird mix. And I think this is one of the most dynamic color pairs in the the format as far as what its game plan can end up being. But generally, if you're on the white core, like where you have, you know, your Gaivian Cavaliers, you have your take up the shield, you have a destroy evil, generally, you're less focused on turboing out a Telerian Terror or something like that. And really, you want to get the premium interaction from the blue spells. Like, Essence Scatter is insane in blue-white in a shell. And a lot of times, you're almost like an aggro control deck because you have Raph Capuchin that really, you know, rewards you for being aggressive, also gives you some card advantage. Like, it almost like the style of, like, a Cawblade type deck, except you don't have, you know, the, the cheap, easy card advantage creatures like that. But that style of tempo aggro or tempo control deck is what I picture when you add blue to the white core. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things here. One is that blue-white is dynamic, as you said, because base white-blue-white and base blue-blue-white look slightly different, I think, and take advantage of slightly different cards and strategies. And one of those things is that, like, I think base blue-aggressive decks don't care as much about the counter spells because you want your spells to be cast on your turn, whereas I think base white-aggressive decks kind of are doing the like get ahead stay ahead thing where stuff like essence scatter and protect the negotiators are actually still quite good and viable yes and i think just when you are combining blue and white you're playing more of the best blue and white cards like period and that will often lead you to a good blue white deck like rather than being focused on the core of white or the core of blue right so the flip side here when we move to blue looking at what the four colors do when they you know add to a core of blue you get a lot of good white spells we talked about destroy evil runic shot Obviously, Raph Weatherlight Stalwart is quite good. Then maybe you might be doing a sort of Captain's Call slash Griffin Protector packagey thing, or maybe Captain's Call is just there. Maybe you're dipping into red a little bit for some more spell, Jeskai spells stuff. But I would say Destroy Evil and Runic Shot really as like your good, cheap interaction is what uh, white adds to blue base decks the best. And I don't think white adds that much. It really is those things, right? Like when you're base blue, you're base blue. Like you've got the Telerian Terrors and the, the white is just peppered in there. And don't misunderstand us that we're leaving out cards like Take Up the Shield or Argivian Cavalier. You're probably playing those in your base blue, blue white decks. But these are the cards that are like you're really looking out for when you're drafting this style of deck. Yes. So when you pair blue with black, 
things that you're picking up from black. You know, you've got that blue spells package. You're picking up Vahar as a sweet looter. Rona has actually really impressed me in blue black control whoa, decks. Whoa, whoa, Excuse me. You thought you got so mad at me in my roundtable <laughs> last week where I drafted my Esper Squiggly's deck and you were like, Rona's not good. What happened? Rona's not good. You shouldn't be spending high picks on Rona, in my opinion. But what about pack one, pick six? Are you allowed to do it then? <sighs> I guess you're allowed to do it then. I don't know. But I think if you end up in a certain style of blue-black deck, Rona is very problematic there for opponents because the game is going to go long and you will probably be able to incidentally put it into your graveyard. There's just ways to get value there. And blue-black is all about getting value. It really does like toe the line, as we've talked about blue-black being able to toe the line between Talarian Terror and Writhing Necromass. Rona does the same thing, right? It has that line of text that says, hey, I care about spells, but then it's also got that line of text that's like, hey, I also care about being self-milled because then you can recur me later in the game. Yes, I agree. And then I think Kicker always being on on Phyrexian Espionage is a big deal, like great card. But I think when you can reliably kick it for five mana, there's points in the game where that is back breaking for your opponent. Yeah. And I'd say Kicker always on Rona's Vortex as well as we'll talk about when we get to black as a core. Yeah. And then you just pick up some sweet removal. You get cut down, you get tribute to Urboard, you get extinguish the light. Mm-hmm. And all of those things are things that your blue spells decks want. Those things naturally pair with Talarian Terror and they naturally pair well with the instant speed counter spells and the instant speed card advantage. Blue black just fits like a glove in a prototypical control deck. And then when you add red to a blue spells deck, it makes the deck much more tempo aggro oriented, right? You get the two signposts, Balmor, Battle Mage, Captain being primo, primo, primo in this deck. And draw the Stormrunner less so, I think, as just, you know, you can often do better things for five mana than this, um, more impactful things, double spelling, etc. Electrostatic Infantry, great as a two drop. You talked about this as like, you know, two mana spell gorger weird with haste. And then of course the red removal, lightning strike, flowstone infusion, and then kicker always on fires of victory is huge. And then it's also pretty huge that you get G2 amplifier on the wheel often. Yeah. All of those things very good. And I think the more G2 amplifiers, electrostatic infantries, Balmors you have, the more of those cheap cards that have to be answered, the more interested you are in Shore Up. Like a lot of times in Blue Red, I'm playing two, three copies of Shore Up. Yeah. And then when you add green, we'll save that for when we get to green because the domain decks are all sort of largely interchangeable. Yes, but definitely base green. So you, it is, yeah. blue green domain is not different from green domain decks. I mean, sort of, but it's it's a green deck. Like the blue spells package is way less of a thing once you add green into the mix. Correct. And black, I think, is more unique than blue or white, or maybe less unique than blue or white, however you want to think about it, in that, you know, a blue black deck and a black blue deck are kind of the same. A white black deck and a black white deck are kind of the same. So like, we're not getting um, many cards that we haven't talked about yet, but a quick rundown of what you get when you add white to black decks. Kicker always on Banalish Sleeper. I'm lower on Banalish Sleeper than the rest of the world. This is the two mana, three, one kicker black. And if you kicked it, each player sacks a creature. I think there not every deck that is black white takes good use of this card and not every matchup you have takes good use of this card. Like it's fine, not great in my opinion. Phyrexian Warhorse, I basically only ever want to cast this if I can kick it in a deck, and that's what you get when you uh, add white to a black deck. We talked about Rona's Vortex, Kicker always on Monstrous Warleech when you add blue to black decks. Those are both pretty key, I think. When you add green, you get Urg Spawn of Turg, which is huge as another way to you know, churn through your library and get things in the graveyard. I think it's 
far and away the best home for Erg Spawn of Turg when your base black touching green. And then Kicker, always on Erborg Repossession, is a huge deal. And we haven't talked about how good Erborg Repossession is. It is excellent, excellent, and very important to both black decks and green domain decks. Yeah, I think, again, it's funny. There's so many caveats, I think, to black-white. Um, and when I wrote about black-white for CFB, I mentioned this, that I think Urborg Repossession is at its worst in black-white. Oh, for sure. Because Urborg Repossession is good when you can kick it. It is not good as just raised dead, but it's backbreaking when you kick it, and white-black is the least interested in splashing green for it. One thing I do want to note, though, you had, you had mentioned that black-white and white-black are kind of interchangeable, or black-blue and blue-black are kind of interchangeable. I think the, the most important difference, not necessarily like these cards that you add, I think the most important distinction for black decks or base black decks is that you have three to four Eerie Soul Tenders and a Necromaster too. Like that, that is what makes your decks base black. And then you're still playing all those other good cards from another color, but you are much more interested in the graveyard, the more black you are. And, and I would, I would, again, it's the reason why I love the Soul Tenders is I don't think, I think you can have good black decks without Necromasses. I think it's really hard to have good black decks without Soul Tenders. For sure. And then when you add red, I think much like green, white, red, black is probably the other color pair that should happen almost never. Um, Lagomos is a great card, but honestly better as a splash in black, white. And the big problem here is that black just doesn't play aggro well enough to pair it with red and that's what red does the best as we saw from like what does red add to blue well it makes it aggressive and tempo-y just like black red as an aggro deck is is hard to come together so do you have a characterization for black decks because i'm struggling right now other than soul tender and necromass to identify them like much like when you're pushing down white at common like you really want to be aggressive when you're blue you're pushing down the spells theme and you need to figure out where you are on the aggro control spectrum like Black decks, there's not an easy, clear identifier for like, are you mid-range? Are you, you know what I mean? Like for what you should be trying to get your deck to do when you're a black deck. I think ideally your black decks operate best at every point in the game, if that makes sense. Like your cards are all things where it's like, you know, if you think about quadrant theory, your cards are good in like all the quadrants, which (laughs) I think is actually quite possible that like you have a good, you know, your curves are usually low. You have a good curve of creatures. You're affecting the board. So it's creature-based, right? We've identified that that's what black does. So it's creature-based, so it can curve out at its core. But then if we look to Eerie Soul Tender, if you look to Phyrexian Rager, if you look to these you know, gibbering barricades, these are cards that then help you keep up in the mid to late game. That none of your cards are dead draws. You're not going, well, you know, I put this in for curve or whatever. And that you know, cycles back to what we were talking about just as with the format overall. But I think that your black decks have cards that operate in different quadrants that operate well in different quadrants of the game. Love it. Like almost Jundy in a way, except like a proactive Jund. Right. I mean, it feels very similar to me to, let's, I think it's why I'm so at home with these decks in this format is like, it feels similar to me to drafting whatever Jund in Vintage Cube or Black Red Sack in Arena Cube is just like the deck can come out the gates fast, but then it also has this ability to just two for one, two for one, two for one. It doesn't fizzle out the way other aggressive decks are. So maybe it's not the best aggressive deck, 
but it does like it's I'm just like thinking about you know how when you like select like a race car in a video game you, <laughs> you get the stats and it's like you know maybe this is like super fast but bad at turns but like the, the black decks just have like three out of five stars across the board like doesn't do anything great but isn't bad at anything either you know yeah love it all right so that takes us to green and green and red here much less driven by the commons and much more driven by the uncommons we're going to kick things off with the uncommons here green has a boatload of premium uncommons yeah and when you're green not only do you get greens premium uncommons but you also get the ability to hopefully cast the premium uncommons from all of the other colors as well yes yeah that's such a huge thing and that's why like thinking about like you want to think about what your core two colors are and i think we're gonna have to do at least devote some amount of time again to touching on mana bases and domain specifically for mana bases in this format because i think that's a, a really tough puzzle for people to solve but i think you want to be thinking about what your core two colors are for your green domain decks but only in the sense of what it does to your mana, not in the sense of it restricting the cards that you want to select in the draft. Yes. So Neshoba Brawler, insane. Mm -hmm. Weather Seed Treaty, insane. Mossbeard Agent, very good if you are not hyper-aggressive. Territorial Marrow, again, very good if you're not hyper-aggressive. Terra Sunder, premium interaction. Yavimaya Iconoclast, probably red-green only, or if you've got a lot of Gaia's Mites because of the trample. And again, if, you, if you're wanting to know how to draft red-green aggro, listen to this week's limited level ups. They can tell you much more than we can. The reason that green suffers on this list or is not in the same tier of white, black, and blue in terms of what its common core does is that the commons are basically sunbathing Rootwalla, Gaia's Might, which gets better not only the more aggressive you are, but the more domainy you are. Like, Gaia's Might in a deck that's like green, blue, splashing black is way less good than a deck that is really aggressively trying to be four domain or five domain. Yes. When Gaia's Might is deal four, deal five, then it's amazing when it's single man. When it's giant growth, less so. And then as far as what the other colors are bringing to your domain decks, I think tons of premium uncommons. And like, we're not going to list every card no. that you can play in a domain deck, but these are some cards we haven't touched on a lot yet in the episode that really are at home in green domain decks. So we've got Miria's Outrider, which is like great if you're green-red aggro, great if you're green-red domain that isn't aggressive. That's also a fine core. Also can be, you know, if you're green-blue, red can be your tertiary color in that deck, and you're splashing Miria's Outrider along with some other cards. Um, and then Viachino Branch Rider as the red one drop that has the kicker two in a green. That's really good if you're in that red-green aggro domain deck. And what about where you're picking Maria's Outrider? Because I just can't quite figure out where and when I want to pick it. You could wheel them earlier, and you don't wheel them now. And now that you don't wheel them anymore, I just find myself not ending up with them a lot, which is kind of sad. Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know. I'd have to go and look at some draft logs. Back against the wall, if I have to answer this question right now, I'd say I'm not taking them as my first red common, probably. So I've either got lightning strike or higher rarity cards that touch red before I'm taking out riders and or I already am like you know if I'm got some you know green uncommon into a couple root wallas and a land then I if I already have an idea that I'm pushing down a green core domain deck then I'm interested in snapping up those outriders whatever as early as pick four pick five right the pick I keep finding myself facing is tapped land or outrider as like cards where I'm thinking about, okay, maybe I'll be domain. And I just always end up picking the land in that spot. 
and then I don't get the Outriders anymore. Yeah, there was a very I had to like really rein it in this week. Like I had Wednesday was my we're drafting good mana bases stream because Tuesday I kept running into these <laughs> like I just kept drafting like I was going to get fixing because that's what had been happening. And then my decks just crumbled because I was like, where are all the freaking lands? <laughs> People were just taking them out from under me. So it was tough. So yeah, I definitely think, I mean, that's what's so great about this format is like every question you have is it depends. Right. So when you add white to domain decks, I think one of the cards that we haven't touched on is artillery blast as I think really just if you're in, ending up in a green white domain core or if White is, again, your tertiary color, your green, blue, and you're splashing runic shot. Then I'll probably also splash an artillery blast in that deck. Yeah, you just want cheap ways to interact. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't want blast in your two-color white decks. This is really a domain card in disguise. Or not even in disguise because the word is on the card. (laughs) That's what I was going to (laughs) say. In plain sight. Yeah. But there's so many things like that in the format, too, that are somehow still like oddly difficult. Like it literally says on the card, do this. And somehow it's still hard to do that sometimes <laughs> because of how hard the drafts are, right? Like yeah. that, that goes back to that idea that you have to have a lot of lanes going during the draft and then still at the end of it all, like get 23 cards that end up in the right place. And that's not easy to do even when it says on the card, put me in a domain deck, you know? Mm-hmm. When you add blue to a green decks, I think the two Clear things that you get access to are really good signpost on commons in Tatiova, Steward of Tides, and Niel Avazoa Aeronaut. Yes, both outstanding and big reasons to be based blue-green. And then when you add black, you get Urborg Repossession. We've touched on that, as well as card we haven't touched on, Bortuk Bone Rattle. Yeah. Is a house. Yeah, it's really, really strong. Just so folks know, because I think people don't read to the end of the card, as evidenced by a lot of people being surprised. If you don't have the domain for the creature you want to get back, it just goes to your hand. You want to get back your Moss Beard Ancient? Great. It doesn't go into play because you don't have seven different colors of mana, but can go back to your hand and you cast it next turn. Yeah, for sure. So that moves us on to red as a core, which is uncommon driven, but I think more often provides common support. Like, I we were talking about this yesterday when we were trying to hash out show notes a little bit. It's like, it's just really hard for me to imagine getting into a red core of a deck and a red aggressive deck. And that's what red does. Red plays a support color much better to me than it does play a base color with an identity. Yes, completely agree. It is very rare that you will be base heavy red because it just doesn't have an identity the way the other colors have. Right. And like even green gets domain despite not getting tons of good commons to support that. Red just gets almost nothing. Right. So um, cards we've touched on, we have electrostatic infantry, really just for blue, red, and red, green aggro only. Fires of Victory, obviously. Hurloon Battle Hymn. Those are two primo removal spells. Sprouting Goblin with the kicker only. Like, don't play Sprouting Goblin in your red, white aggro decks. And then, again, common package of red support cards that go in every deck. Lightning Strike, Flowstone Infusion, Keldon Strike Team for red, white aggro. But this list is short. Right. Red has a lot of cards that slot in, whether that's with red, white aggro, blue, red tempo, or red, green aggro domain, or as a tertiary color for your green X domain decks. Like it's not doing a lot in terms of 
going, hey, this is what I do best, and here are the reasons to do it. Right, but it does support lots of the other colors themes quite well. I agree. Yeah, no no hate on red. I just think it's firmly in, in I mean, putting colors in a ranking or places is not that important, but I just think just understanding that that's why you're not going to end up in, that's why I say, hey, this is like my once in a draft format time I'm going to end up in red black in this set is just because you're not going to, you shouldn't end up there that often. Right. And I think definitely what it does best is supporting blue and supporting white. I think blue, red and red, white are both, again, very focused synergistic decks where it's much more clear at the common level and easier to end up with 23 cards that are working together. Right. And again, I'd say even green, red, non aggro domain because of Miria's Outrider being so strong that I think it's it's good there. I think really just red, black suffers and just red as a core suffers because even in that red, green deck, you're a base green domain deck and happen to be supporting it with red. Yeah, but so many premium uncommons. Absolutely. This has to be, I think, the longest non crash course episode we might have ever done. For sure. And the thing is, like, I could keep talking more about know, this format right now. Yeah. Like, there's so much goodies to do. And I think, so just parting advice for you. Hopefully this put context into some things for you and let you understand colors deeper because we can't say, like, here's how to draft the format. But we can give you concepts for you to think about as you're drafting. And I think if you're thinking about this stuff, hopefully it helps you steer your drafts. And I think if nothing else, if you're struggling in the format, my advice would be to keep plugging away and to keep watching people and just look at the decks that are winning and see what they look like and see what cards they use and and try to copy those things, right? Like that's how you and I learned cube. And this format is very close to cube. My, my cube experience was I would get on channel Fireball and watch LSV cube. I would get on channel Fireball and watch Caleb Cube. And then I would try to do what I saw them do. And sometimes I would do it right and I would win. And sometimes I would not do it right and I would lose. But like trial and error is the only way you're going to get there. So it's easy to say, but try not to get too frustrated by losing. Preach. So again, format is awesome. (laughs) I'm sorry if you're not enjoying it because you're losing. But again, I think there's tons of good information in this episode to help you maybe turn that around. So great place to wrap us up. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Because, and this made my blue-black deck that I had early on in the format really click with me, because I had Talarian Terrors and Necromasses and Rising Terrors 
but my creature count was fairly low. I had like 12 Wait, creatures. What's rising terror? Uh, Talarian terror. Sorry. Oh. Rising necromass. Wait, is it rising necromass and Talarian terror? What's the it's mod- writhing, right? Not writhing rising necromass. Oh yeah. Whatever. Who cares? Details. I mean, you just said like two <laughs> cards that aren't, that don't exist. <laughs> that so. aren't real. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll get it right for the listeners, <laughs> okay. I guess. Okay. okay.